When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. It's the most wonderful time. <laughs> what you drinking in your mug? Of the yeah. Um, cold coffee. I love it. I am drinking. You want to know why it's cold? Because we've been talking for an hour. I have a story about cold coffee, but before I get to that, I need anybody who I'm gonna we're gonna clip this and we're gonna put it on our Instagram. So you do is there a way for me to take a picture of it? I don't even can I even take my new emotional support water bottle and it's like literally larger than my head. I'm not kidding. It's 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 a what is it? Sixty four ounces, so it's half a gallon. Here's my cold coffee story. So tell me I'm a chronic coffee abandoner. Like I will just leave coffee, but I will always come back to her and I will drink her. Mm, Well, coffee neglect. We have some family visiting from out of town that were unaware of that about me. And when I went to go back to my coffee, Oh God, it had been poured down the drain and taken care of, which was very like, efficient and kind right of said house guest to be like let me clean up the kitchen but my little ADHD heart was devastated because I was coming back for that coffee and I needed I'm coming back back for you baby baby. and it was gone and I was like no my cold coffee's gone I'm coming back for you. I like first of all that entire trend. I never understood. Every time I was like, someone watched that video, and you did it too. I saw it. I was like, every time I saw that video, I was like, what is motivating someone to be like, yes, I'm gonna make it? Because every time I heard that sound, I was like, I don't get it. I get it, but I don't get it. I was like, I don't get why this is so apparently amusing to people, but I get it. The entire. The audio was very catchy. It was. And it was. It was. Carly Rae Jepsen or whatever your face, whoever that is. I think yes, she she makes the trendy. <sighs> she makes that little earworm. Yeah. And they get in your ear. And there they go. Uh, so this is our episode before the um, end of the year. Actually, I think this is the last one you're going to hear us. We'll probably have like a recap episode, but this is the one. That's right before the holidays, so we thought mm-hmm. we would do something fun. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably the last official one we're going to be doing. We'll probably wow. do like a, a recap. Our last official for, 2022. Right. We made it, baby. Yeah, man. This we has been this been baby. quite the year for our podcast. We were talking off air about our uh, Spotify wrapped stats. It was so cool. I know. I think that one we need to do... Like we should, re- we mm-hmm. will have that one attached to the, like, the yes. stuff or the ones we get. The you want to know what because our we stats can... were. We will, uh, we'll be talking about it in our actual like right. year end wrap up episode. 
our Instagram followers are like, I saw it. Well, they saw some. Uh, We did not post every single little bit of info. We did not. So that is correct. Um, (laughs) So what are we doing today? I think we're going to play a game that's called, and some of you might actually know what this is called. Wait, hold on. Where's the top of the box? Did I lose it? I lost it. Um, we're not really strangers is the one that we're playing and it's not really going to be played the way, by the way, don't, don't think we're playing this game, right? Cause we're not, um, me and CA are infamous for, you know, like you just make a game your own. Gonna... You just, you go house, rules. Right, house rules, baby. Exactly. House rules, exactly. baby. Um, I lost the lid, so it's forever gone. Um, so basically, basically there's levels and each level has different types of questions. So level one is perception, level two is connection, and level three is reflection. And so I'm going to go through a couple of them and then we're probably going to both answer, honestly. <laughs> we'll try to do right. our best. We're not going to, we're not going to trail it off. And honestly, if something is you know if something's more important for us to talk about maybe we'll do some ad limb chats and we mm, will mm-hmm. did i say limb ad limb did I say limb <laughs> we're gonna add limb for you guys <laughs> just add one extra arm to this conversation <laughs> to me okay it so actually works it actually was we're gonna add another limb what if that's what if that's what it was <laughs> And then it got short. No, it was not. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't limb. All right, everyone. No, it's not that. Don't don't take my word. It's lib, lib, right? Yeah. Whatever the origin of the Latin is for that etymology. Word. Etymology. Mm. All right. So let's start off. Do you have anything to share before we start the questions? We can... <sighs> We can maybe update you on the next episode on some of the stuff. So we'll just go. Uh, These are so funny. Okay. I like this one. What fast food restaurant do you think I'm most likely to drive through? And what's my order? Okay. We have to answer this for each other. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to go with Taco Bell. And I'm going to go with... Crunch wrap. Okay, that's a really good guess. I honestly, I, the only reason I don't do Taco Bell as much is because it literally hurts my stomach. But so does every other fast <laughs> food place. So, like, if I was gonna go for a hangering, that is not a bad guess. All right, all right. Um, I feel like you also have this problem, but I. I do feel like, okay, no, it says food. See, I was going to go the coffee route, but that's kind of unfair because mm. that's kind mm-hmm. of like cheating. Oh, God, this is hard. Uh- <laughs> For the record, I don't even know what my answer is in my head. So let's hear what you have to and say. And I also don't. <laughs> I never hear you like hanker. I never I hear you like I'm hankering for I this. I do so. fast food. Yeah, it's true. I know. But like uh, when I when I must, when I must do fast food, what would I do? What do you think I would do? 
like Wendy's. Okay. <laughs> what do you think I would get? I'm literally getting, I wanted to say McDonald's. It's just because I haven't like been. No, stick with, I, stick I with Wendy's. Seen. What would I get from Wendy's? Wendy's. JBC. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Here's, here's why Wendy's is not a bad. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Hold on. I'm answering. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm literally just answering what I want. In case you're wondering, that's because I defaulted and I panic answered. So I'm just saying what I would have wanted. This is hilarious. So uh, this, hilarious. this doesn't work. Just answer the question. All right. Yeah, listen. So Wendy's is not far off. I actually like Wendy's. I love that Wendy's this year did that like emo Wendy's trend with the like emo hair. Did you ever see that? Oh there was God, a Wendy's. Yeah. And they're funny. They're, so, they're funny. so funny. So that's not bad. Um, And I do... I find their fries to be superior, but I, oh yeah, for me, I would probably they have like a spicy chicken sandwich that like if oh, I go to when right. if I go to right. Wendy's, I'm probably gonna get that spicy chicken sandwich. No, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Spicy chicken sandwich. Okay, got you. <laughs> and the fries are superior. Yes. You are yes. correct. So, mind you, for the people listening, we're going to probably go into more deeper questions, but for some reason, I wanted to kick <laughs> it off with some random, uh, random question on food. Okay. Some of these are funny and they're like lighter hearted or lighter hearted? Lighthearted or <laughs> Oh my gosh. I think lighter hearted okay. is the way to say that. My oh my gosh, wait, this is kind of funny for like our listeners to hear. Hold on. What subject do you think I thrived in at school? Did I fail any? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go first this time. Wait, did I go first? No, you go first this time because I went first last time. No. Oh, did Mm -hmm. you? Okay. Uh, You thrived at like languages. I know this is not fair because I know her so well. But this is, except apparently I have no idea about your food stuff because I'm not (laughs) in your location. Uh, Definitely like language. I know that you were like really into like trying to... I mean, I wouldn't even say like education, but like English based kind of, I think that was like good. I, you can correct me, obviously. And then I don't know, you were such like, you were, I remember you being a very good student when it says, did you fail at any, I would say maybe like your weakest point was like, (laughs) I want to say it's the same as me. I want to say it was like, math but i'm not really sure because mine was very much well i shouldn't answer for you this is great okay i will i will i will give our listeners wait are we talking about in high school are we talking about in college i was thinking high school and college i was thinking like okay mostly going from high school to through college so for me you you were correct that languages were always my strong suit as soon as i started studying foreign languages I like took off so Latin Spanish French Italian all of that that was like I probably could have worked for the UN probably could have learned like 10 languages one semester in college I was taking five five courses this is my fresh my my fall semester junior year I was taking five languages and then on top of that I was teaching myself two other languages like for fun because that's the type of thing I find fun so that's that um English, I always, like, enjoyed parts of English, but the reason I didn't, like, excel in those classes was because of my ADHD. (laughs) Literally, like, hated, like, deadlines and, like, needing to get, get, like, 
nitty gritty work done. Like, I think I hated the busy work part of English classes where I'd be like, you literally need me to write like a worksheet about this grammar thing that I've known since I was seven because I've been reading since yeah. I was three. So like it's a I was like, this time. is boring. Yeah. Um, I, I only ever failed one class in my entire life. And I'll, I'm going to tell that story in a minute, but I didn't, I didn't do well in chemistry in high school and I didn't do well in trigonometry in high school. Um, those two courses were rough on me and I don't even think it was because of the content. It was because those teachers were, they, they did not work well with my learning style. So it was just like the driest, driest lectures imaginable and then like completely self-directed work, which was really like that combination of those two things for me was like, boom, like I was, I like you're like skidded through those classes by the skin of my teeth. Then the only class I've ever got a literal F. This is, this is, I, I hate and love this story. I hate telling this story, but it, it serves a purpose. Um, was my freshman year, spring semester, freshman year of college. And I failed a Spanish class. Not because I didn't get the material, of course. It was because I had one absence too many. I, I, in fact, I had a literally like more than a perfect score in that class. Like I had Stop. scored perfectly on every assignment. They were all handed in That's on time. Disgusting. I had scored perfectly so on every exam. And I even did a like bonus assignment that you could have like earned you bonus points or whatever at one point. And I just did it for fun because I love, I love Spanish. And so I literally had a perfect score. I show up to the final exam. This I, I literally showed up to the final exam. And the teacher took me outside in the hallway and told me not to take the exam because it would be pointless because she was giving me enough for the class because I missed one too many classes. That's disgusting. <laughs> and there was nothing I could do about and- it. I tried to advocate to the dean oh because I was like, I don't understand how I can fail a class that I literally have a perfect score. Like attendance seems so arbitrary to me. It is. Especially in college oh. where I'm like, clearly I have a mastery of the material. Is that not what matters in education? Like mastery of the material some- doesn't matter. Right. To some it doesn't because it's all about like, it's all about the legalism and like the rule of the rule of the matter. Like if I bend the rule for you, I'll bend it for other. It's like, oh my God. So, so that's yeah, that my tale. Because you, well, Jessica's CA is incredibly good at Spanish. So <laughs> that's incredibly infuriating because I'm sure it was like a 99 or a hundred in your. Quite in literally a perfect score. It was quite literally a perfect Stop. score. And then it destroyed my GPA that semester. And then I Ew, spent the okay, whole so rest of college recovering from that but yeah okay here's my here's my two cents this is my ad limb (laughs) we're adding an arm okay so I actually have a high suspicion and this is just me like armchair diagnosing I have a very high suspicion that there are some massive neuroses going on in some of the professors Mm. in the education system Mm -hmm. and the reason why I'm saying that is in what world is that not a power move because Let me break that down. If I'm the professor and I'm looking at, in theory, professors are allowed to make the, you know, make the accommodations. They can make up, they can literally create extra credit. Okay. So if you're telling me you can create 
grade and manifest new credit for people to have a better grade, you can look at the syllabus and be like, all right, I'm looking at this. I'm rationalizing how this doesn't make sense. I could understand this is an excuse absence, but I'm not going to have you fail something for this something small, right? But in what world is that not a power move? Because some people get so wrapped up. And it's like, to me, it's one of two things. It's either someone is so bound to like legalism, right? I said it, so I have to follow through and I can't, I can't bend anything for you, right? Because then the whole world will fall apart, right? But it's like, you miss the point of education. The point of education is, can this person show up with the material, learn the material, master the material, and whether or not they're physically in front of you on the Tuesday mm -hmm. afternoon, does that necessarily mean they have executed that whatever, right? And then my brain goes, okay, so if it's not that, let's say they, they it isn't that, then my brain goes, it's a power move. Because what, how, this is so gross, but how good do you think it felt for that professor to see your grade 100 and then say F? Because that is, it's that ultimate, like, derivative of power of like, ooh, I don't mm -hmm. give a shit. I'm going to just pull yep. this card and not pay attention to the the nuances here. So anyways, that's my little adding the arm to the yep. conversation. I completely um, agree. And sadly, I mean, if administration. Well, the worst part was she was the chair of the department. So I, I already would, that was, I was already at the highest level of the department with her as my professor. So I had to go to the Dean of the whole school of arts and sciences. And he was like, there's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. Um, so that's that story. Horrible. So, all right. Now I have to answer this for you though. Okay. So it was, what did you excel at? And did you ever fail anything? So, I mean, I'm going to say that you also excelled at creative type. I, I mean, are we allowed to, this again, are we allowed to include like non-core classes? Because obviously I know that you excelled at like things that were outside of like the core classes, you know, you like kinda, dance no and, and choir and like singing yeah. and things like that. And so there's that. But like, I also think that you probably did well with your more creative type classes, like English and writing and things like that. Then obviously, like, I know what you excelled at in college because I know what you majored in and it's what you do for a living. Um, so that's kind of a <laughs> dead giveaway. But I think, did you fail anything? I know you. Okay. I. <laughs> right. So, so like the math portion of life has never been a strong suit. Um, did you ever actually fail a math class? I, I can't say for sure. Maybe you did. Maybe like freshman year of college. Was there, was there a, no, one of my, some, some, I'm, I missed your memory. There's somewhere along the line. There was like, you did get on like academic probation at one point, but I don't know what that was for. Was that because of like non-related to your major classes that you were like, I could care less. So it, oh, wait, so what did you say I excelled at? Yeah, like, but yeah. What are you thinking high school? Prop, I I, I'm going to guess like much. English or writing. Maybe history. Yeah, so it's I don't weird know because I went, okay, so here's the funniest thing and you're going to laugh at me. So 
this is, I look back at my education and I'm like, oh my God, 80, she is, because I went undiagnosed for so long. So I look at like how some of this stuff like, <laughs> like showed up in my grades and I'm like, oh yeah, that's actually really funny. Um, so I too excelled in Spanish. I just never really I went into that, it. I, I got a near, I almost got a near perfect the story about the near perfect regents oh, exam, yeah. which I remember being so like proud of, like literally almost getting a hundred on my regents. I literally got an I literally got a ninety nine on my in New York, and I remember the question that I got wrong. Oh, okay, so I don't remember the question I got wrong because I literally didn't think I got anything. Like I didn't, I didn't have a perception that there was anything like really wrong. But I remember my teacher telling me, "Hey, sometimes there's sticklers on till days," and I remember thinking. I didn't prove me for chill days. Like <laughs> I didn't care because my ADHD brain was like, what are they going to do? And I know in theory it does yeah. change the word, but I was like, I don't care. I'm, it's like crossing your T's and dotting right. your eyes. I'm like, I don't care. So I remember not proofreading for till days. I think I just yeah. like did it. And to this day, I'm like, Ooh, is that the point that they took off? Like I did, I like not have a till day. And then the word got like altered and whatever. Anyways. So I was good at Spanish. Um, I actually was really good at chemistry, which is so funny, but I was really good at lower level chemistry. When I got to upper level, which was like college level, I got into AP chemistry. Um, my brain was like literally glitching. I was like, and that's (laughs) We've hit our ceiling. I was like, nope. Oh, we have hit the apex because I do think I got like almost 100 in chemistry. It was like 90, like really high 90s, I think, in chemistry at one point. So then they were like, yeah, you can go into AP. So I did. And then I was like, never. I literally dropped it. I dro- I didn't even I didn't even go through the, with the entire class. I was like, um, I will take art classes now. Like I was like, never mind. Um, and then, yes, I really did like English. Uh, you're right. I think I did struggle a little bit with. I struggled a little bit with like the writing execution part of it, but I loved like the creative elements of like reading and analyzing I did too. Books and, I loved like, like the just, analytical part. Right. Of... And so, right. And I got into AP English, but then I didn't get the credit for it was really, it sucked. Like that was like the execution part. Like I got into AP English, actually didn't drop that class, got all the way to the end. And then I didn't get the like highest level in the test to get the credit. Mm-hmm. I think mean, you have to get a three um, or higher to get the credit. I don't think I got I think I only ever took two AP classes. Um, I took AP bio and I got a three, but I don't know how I got a three on that class because that class was hard. And I got, I did AP Spanish and I got a perfect score on that test. So. Nice. See, this is why when you, when we hear your story about failing, I'm like, so oh my dumb. God, that was such a, that was it's such a slight. Ridiculous. Such a slight. Um, and then in college, and then in college, here's the funniest part. So I actually didn't fail, which ironically, I don't know how I didn't fail my first year because I was like chronically depressed in my first year of college. So I didn't fail at my first school that I went to before my like culty school. Uh, I didn't fail there, but I went and I transferred and this was the like hyper-religious cultish, like, you know, the one that I talk about, try to not name it as much because, you know, problems. Um, but then I go, then I go there and I swear to God, I had to take a math Mm -hmm. class. Oh, this is, oh, oh, I know we're going on tangents, but this is, you guys get the like raw version of us right now. So, um, took the Spanish CLEP exam, 
literally didn't know what I was doing and I tested out of Spanish. I literally didn't know. I couldn't fault. They were, you know how I have a hard time processing? The hardest part of Spanish wasn't actually what I knew. It was the audible processing when they would go really, really fast. So I couldn't mm-hmm. catch things as fast. Swear to funniest. CLEP exam, CLEP exam for people who don't know what these are. These are like you can go into a school or transfer in or you can start at a school and they can see if you're really, really. Yeah, if you're already like proficient in something. In the, in, yeah, if you're already proficient, they can test you out of classes. So I was at the Spanish one because I was like, ah, I, I probably could test out of Spanish. So I go to the CLEP exam at my new school when I transfer. <laughs> Swear to God. <laughs> I, I literally made it at the skin of my teeth because I knew like the major, right. I knew the majority of the material. Okay. Like I knew what I was like reading and writing and like when I was having to write things down, I could do it. But then there was the comprehension, which was listening. So you had to have an entire, like there was an entire monologue that you had to listen to. And it wasn't short. It wasn't like a couple sentences. Mm -hmm. It was like an entire Mm -hmm. story basically that they were reading. And I remember the person like that we were listening to, was just really fast. And I've always struggled with this part of Spanish. Like even when I go to another country, I can catch a lot of it, but it's hard for me to process it very quickly. So if you gave me enough time, I probably could, but I struggle with how fast like the comprehension has to happen. Swear to God, I remember laughing, like looking around and they're like, you know, like whatever. And they were like, all that stuff. And I remember being like, there were things that were being said that I didn't catch at all. But I remember looking around like, <laughs> like it was like they said a joke. So everyone's laughing. I didn't catch the joke, but I'm looking around laughing like, yeah, that was so funny. Like, and I was like, and then it was like, and now you have to write down your comprehension. And I'm like, oh I don't gosh. know. Like, I literally don't know what I wrote on that paper other than maybe like barely moments of like comprehension. So anyways, clipped out of that miraculously. I do not know how I clipped out of that, but I did. Um, but I didn't have that same luxury with math. So I had to take math. And <laughs> okay, the real reason I failed, there's, there's, I want to say it's because of attendance. Okay. (laughs) Here's here. So here's the funny thing. I want to say it's because of attendance, but to be fair, if I'm being radically honest with myself, I literally, Oh my gosh. Like I never went. So when I tell you, I went to the class probably like once every like couple (laughs) weeks, there were times where I literally, I just like didn't go. So when there'd be exams, I'd show up and I would just like phone it in and just pretend I knew what was going on. But like nine times out of 10, I just wouldn't go. Don't know why, because that's not usually my like MO, but like I just was like so unmotivated to go and I didn't. I remember it was an 8 a.m. class and I was like, screw that. Horrible. Um, So didn't go. That class, I that time I did fail. I did fail. And that was because I could say, oh, it was one of 10. I swear to God, there was probably like three three more absences on top of like the one that would have (laughs) failed me. Right. So I probably, I just didn't go. Okay. Then what happened? I got an academic probation and me had no idea what that meant. I literally didn't realize that if I didn't get good enough grades, I would get kicked out of school. I just thought, Ooh, I'm in trouble. Like, Oh, what does that mean? And like, they like made me, they're like, it's just, you know, you literally, even the advisor wasn't like, you're going to get kicked out. They were like, you just have to improve your grades. That's all we're telling you. Like, that's all I have to say. Like, there's nothing really, you know, just get better at your grades and you'll be fine. And I was like, okay. 
So I had to take math again. And this time, I swear to God, this is funny. I did go to the class. But I want to blame, I want to blame it on absences. But this time I couldn't because I just suck at math. So I literally, I literally remember there are moments, like visceral moments in my math class that I remember her like going over something. And I mean, like, my brain was like literal misfiring. I was like, every single thing that's coming out of your mouth, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, and I can't even, I don't think any book. (laughs) is going to get me to the point of of comprehension of what the hell you're talking about. So anyways, I go to the class, ready? Swear on my life, I get, I want to say a C minus. Which I think was the lowest I could get in order for that class to be considered like, I don't know, something about the credit credit. or something. Um, Even though it's not considered a fail, right? Like it's like, if you get a D, I don't think it's a fail, but it's whatever. Anyways, so made it through by the skin of my teeth. So in theory, I want to blame attendance for me being so bad at math, but I'm really, really bad at math, guys. Like, I really, really am bad at math. So, you know, Mm. you can just take that for what it is, and somehow I am... Well, remember I told you my trigonometry class was the only math class I really struggled with? I'll never forget the experience that I had. She gave us quizzes literally every single day. That was like part of oh yeah like literally every single day there was a quiz and so you just knew it it was like a three question quiz or whatever or five three to five questions and I'll never forget though this one day that on Fridays it was longer it was like a 10 question quiz I remember being like I got this like I, I I like felt good about that one I answered every question I I did work I showed my work I felt good about it these tests oh. came back the next time. And the the joke about that class was people it, it was people were so bad at that class that it was like we would all just like share our grades with each other and it would be like who got the lowest score because it, it was like there was like two kids in that class that would even get like in the 80s or above and everybody else was getting like 50s, 40s. I kid you not. I got a literal zero. <laughs> memories so sad (laughs) I'm so sorry all right so we can now that we're like a little bit in the next level is connection and these are like deeper questions these are like a little bit deeper than just like the stat you know the surface level um I don't know these are like tough though like I mean these are like very Mm -hmm. up in the air Ooh, this one's interesting have you ever told someone I love you, but didn't mean it? <laughs> if so, why? <laughs> this is so tough. I know. And then I'm like, do, do we answer this? Because like, what if we name the person and then people are like listening and they're like, oh. all right, we don't have to name the person, but I will say, yes, I, I, I had, and I did it for my safety. Because I felt that if I did not say that in that moment, that I would be in a certain level of near and present danger, which is pretty deep and it's pretty dark, See, but that's is, true for me. This is such a yeah. good topic for us to sit with for a second. Cause this is what I meant by like adding arms. Yeah, and we are to the We're actually getting some extra limbs. In here. <laughs> that's what they mean by like, 
the conversation had led. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> okay. See, I will stay with my first, like, like hypothesis, which is it probably oh was gosh. adding limbs. Okay, I'll shut up. Okay. So... When we think about this for a second, like in regards to like our podcast topics and stuff, like what's interesting is like, this is such an interesting part of, you know, understanding how we show up to ourselves authentically, right? Because you hear us talk about this in the podcast, like safety Mm -hmm. is such a critical, essential building block of tapping into your authenticity. It really is. And, and people go, okay, well, I could do that for myself. Yes, you can, because we can have radical honesty conversations with ourselves. And like, you know, when you get to the point of like healing um, parts of that wound, like you can have raw conversations. Like CA could get to the point maybe and be like, I don't love her, like, or I don't love him or I don't love this, whatever. Like you could have, you could get to the point of like understanding that about yourself and like the thing that you're doing is not mm-hmm. matching like mm-hmm. the external communication that you're doing except where is the line of how does that translate how does that authenticity actually bring itself to the to the you know forefront of the external and that's what we mean by Mm -hmm. like safety seriously if if we can't first of all it's safety within ourselves so if you guys are getting to the point where you can be radically honest with yourselves that means you're starting to develop like a safety within yourself right and then we have the safety in the external so you're uh, parents, your partners, your siblings, your coworkers, your friends, like all of these people in your life, if various levels of your relationships don't have that safety, you're going to, pa- and it doesn't necessarily have to be, I love you, but like there are going to be moments where you're going to have that harsh realization mm-hmm. of crap. I'm going to have to say something here that doesn't match my internal. Right. And that's going to feel like I'm turning my back on myself and I'm betraying myself, right? And that's why this is so painful, right? Because we sit there and we go, well, what's the harm, CA? Just tell her, just mm-hmm. tell him, mm-hmm. just say it. Right. What's the harm, right? And we want it. We want to dismiss it. We want to say it's not that big of a deal. We want to say there's nothing wrong with it. But in reality, if we like play it to the core, play it to the root, like what's really happening is these like very deep experiences within ourselves that are saying, Hey, um, are we ever going to get a chance to mm-hmm. be real? Very, very much. Like, when are we going to have a right. chance? Exactly. So you create this sort of, to get by, you create like an inner sanctum an inner safety where you can only like when you're with yourself and you're safe, you can try to honor your authenticity. But if your external is not yet logistically safe for you to fully you know, unmask or speak your truth or whatever it is, then like that, I think that's the unfortunate, like in between space that a lot of people really do have to face in their everyday life. And I think it's important to say that and talk about that, that like, as, as we're on healing journeys of various different kinds throughout the course of our life, there are going to be times when you're just in these weird in between liminal spaces of, some parts of you are safe and working and growing and other parts of you are quite literally do not have access to the abilities and, and like the ultimate ideal place that you're trying to get to. And it takes time, effort, privilege, all sorts of different things to be able to 
potentially get to that place. Yeah. And so people are like, when you say like, I didn't have, it's almost like I didn't have the luxury to say anything else. And that's tricky, right? That's very, very tricky because it's like the external created such an Well, what what's helpful though about being able to like self-reflect and, and do the hindsight situation yeah. is that like I can look back on those times and give myself so much love and self-compassion, right? Like we don't right. have to look back and right. – or even if you're still in the middle of it, you don't have to sit there and shame yourself and be like – why did you say that? Why did you lie to them? Like, you know, you don't love them. You know, you don't mean what you're saying. Like, oh my gosh, like you're so weak. You're so, you're just a coward. Like, you know, you don't have to beat yourself up. Like you can offer yourself unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion and say, you are literally doing the best that you can with what you have in the circumstances that you're in. And I see you and I love you. And I know why you made the choices that you did. I know why you said it the way that you said it. Like, I'm still with you. Look to yourself. You're literally saying this to yourself. Like, I'm with you. I hear you. We got this. Like, I love you. Right. I think like, uh, this is interesting. Cause like when I think about this was actually came and this is kind of me, it's like, I'm answering, but I'm not answering. But what I actually read this as, is it says like, have you ever told someone I love you, but didn't mean it? If so, why? And I guess this is answering the question, but one of the things I remember being, or I guess I remember struggling with when I was a child was I didn't really know what like Mm. real love was. And I don't mean like I never was shown it. I just didn't understand the like complexity of it. And it's funny because my brain was like, it was almost like wrestling with like, I knew it was more complicated than me just say, like, I knew mm-hmm. it was something more than I like you. I knew it was something more than just something simple, right? It's just that like my brain didn't, like I couldn't access that, like the complex narratives and like the whole like uh, formal operational thinking. I remember like saying it when I was little, but in the back of my mind being like, there's something more here and you don't really know yet what it is, but mm, mm-hmm. just remember there's something more behind this. Like there's something more than just like literally right. just saying I love you to anybody, right? So when I hear, have you ever told someone I love you, but I but didn't mean it? I think the way I would answer this is like there were times when I was younger that I like don't think I really mm-hmm. knew what it really meant. And I would say it. And I remember it feeling you didn't know what you were saying because I didn't really know Mm -hmm. what it meant exactly. But it was upsetting me. I remember it would upset me because I'd be like, "Yeah, what I'm really saying? Like, I know I have care or connection to this person, but I don't know what I'm really saying. But I know I kind of have to say it. So that would I when it says like, if so, why? I feel like that would be the rationale that I had for a while because. I grew up in a family that had a lot of like forced blending happening, like in the middle of my childhood. And I remember like some of those conversations like, oh, okay, goodbye. I love you. And these were people that I like had just met within like a few Mm -hmm. months ago. And like CA also could probably share that with you. Like she had some blending. And so it was like these forced connections that when I was little, my brain kind of knew that it was it was me like not really being fully aware or fully able to grasp like 
it was it was very much like right. You just have to answer that way because if you don't, I don't think you. And this is why I'm giving the nuance mm-hmm. between like how CA answered versus how I. I don't think I didn't answered it that way because I thought there was literally going to be like massive like physical or like emotional. It was more like I didn't know how to feel connected to someone mm-hmm. without saying that, right? So I was I felt like it was just if I needed to bond with this family member, I just have to say I love you. When in reality, if I didn't really know what love was and I didn't really I feel like it was very new or very connected, my brain was just like, well, you kind of just have to say this or you're like, what's <laughs> right. the opposite? Like right. you're going to tell them you don't love them, like, you know, and so it was very interesting cuz when I hear this question, my brain goes, love was something that I don't think I really knew the depths of until a long time after, Mm -hmm. you know, like childhood. So looking at it from this side of things, it's, it's just interesting. And I don't know if I get pushback because like child, the way children love, and if they say they love you, it doesn't mean that they don't love you. It just means that like love will rapidly Mm -hmm. change throughout time for that human, for that human that's a child for that human that's a teenager right and so to maybe like you know just take that with a grain of salt because I think what we're really talking about is like the yes, authentic exactly because I think like words. with my own kids and when they say the phrase right. I love you and they're various different ages now at this point but speaking maybe to those like younger ages where like yeah you know love is still very like in a, like they their 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 minds don't have all that formal operational thinking and all that so like what I what I see, feel, and sense when they autonomously choose to use that phrase is like I notice they they turn to that phrase when they're feeling a moment of really authentic connection with me. So like we just like played together or mm, we've been like right. bonding and like reading books and snuggling up and like that's when they'll just like spontaneously use that phrase. Cause we don't we don't force that phrase. We don't force affection or anything like that in my family. So like when those moments happen, they're very authentic and very spontaneous from with something within the child. And so will the definition of love change and deepen and grow for them over the course of their life? Yes. But I think when they use that phrase, that's their way of expressing, I feel connected to you right now. And mm. what you're describing, I find interesting. Right. It's right. like when that type of language or say it's, you know, hugs or other types, forms of like affection are used when it, when the process is supposed to happen in the reverse, where it's like, say the phrase in order to feel connected, give Mm -hmm. the hug in order to feel connected. Mm -hmm. That's when I think our bodies go like, I don't know about this. Like something about this feels strange and and inauthentic and backwards because it is supposed to be the reverse. From connection, (laughs) those things kind of authentically come out of us. Right. I actually love that analogy when you talked about your kids, because in theory, that would not create any barrier if I just like felt really connected to a certain family member. And I was like, oh, I love you. Right. Like whatever. But then if you're sitting with like, why would my brain have like a moment of like apprehension? It it might be. This is what I talk about when I tell people like and, and we both talk about this, like your natural wisdom. Like I can tell you as a child 
that hesitation was definitely there. I didn't necessarily have all the formal operational thinking to organize that thought, but I do remember those hesitations. And it's not because I don't really care about people. It literally was now that I can see it through like the lens of my own like critical thinking, I can see it as like, that was probably my natural response to being like, wait, this is actually needing to be more organic. Like, not that I would say it's like forced against my consent, because I don't think anyone was like, you have to say that you love them, right? Like, I don't think anyone in my family was doing that. Mm -hmm. But it was almost like this expectational flow of the conversation Mm -hmm. that my brain was like, wait, you're just saying that? Like, isn't that Mm -hmm. supposed to be more meaningful to you? Right? And that's what we're talking about Mm -hmm. is like that natural intuitiveness is actually like, even though it can be like, lesser formed and like slowly getting more and more mature over the course of time throughout your childhood and into adulthood. Like I will tell people, I will, I don't care if like, you know, people disagree with me. Like it was there. Your natural intuitive self was there. It was. And that, you know, that is a good thing for you to sit with when we're talking about like developing skills. It's like, I hear a lot of people like don't trust themselves. And I'm like, at some point, I don't want to say like, it's always like you were told, but at some point, some part of the narrative said, your natural experience with the way you experience emotions or the flow or like any mm-hmm. apprehension, like that is wrong or you're always mm-hmm. wrong or you don't know anything, right? And if you think that and that gets infiltrated into your brain and that's a narrative that you like hold on to. If I look at you and I'm like, hey, part of healing is like trusting yourself. And the answer is that's too dangerous. That's something that's (laughs) that's a lot to sit with, right? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so you're going you're gonna to laugh so hard we're going to move on, but I'm not kidding. This is on level two, ready? <laughs> I did not write this question, everyone, but this was meant for our podcast. What lesson took you the longest oh my goodness look at this this is perfect it is on might be uh, the last one we have time for so what a what a what a perfect this has to be the last one one, because we're gonna go way too over to get into oh man what lesson to you the longest to unlearn i don't know do i need to go first because i'm sitting here like oh god this is a doozy of a question so i would say a lesson that I took a long time to unlearn was my own, I guess Mm. that I'm not the enemy, (laughs) that I'm not, I'm not some like tainted, wounded soul that like is, not to be trusted, not to be listened to, not to be, you know, honored or whatever. It's, it's just, it's so interesting where some of these conceptualizations came from, but 
Have I screwed up in my life? Yes. Are there reasons why some people don't trust me? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think what's interesting though, is that like there are core themes in my life that I think I developed over the course of time that was saying like, I'm not, I myself am not safe. Like my thoughts aren't safe. My conceptualizations aren't safe. I am so wounded and wild and and I would never be able to, you know, create healthy conceptualizations of things. Like if I was left to my own devices, I would self-implode. And guess what, folks? Like there were times where when I was on the journey to get here, it nearly looked like self-implosion, right? It nearly looked mm-hmm. like self-destruction, So when I think about like how many years it took me to realize like part of my journey was to create that safety and that moderator inside of myself that says you are able to Mm. make good decisions. You are able to trust yourself. And yes, Jamie, there are going to be times where you step out of line or or screw up, or misunderstand something about yourself, or have the wrong belief for a little bit, and then you, you know, course correct or whatever. Except that's not proof. Those missteps are not proof Mm. that I'm not a stable source of wisdom, and that I'm not a stable source Mm. of, you know, guidance within myself, right? Those are actual moments of opportunity to grow the skill, to Mm. say, hey, can you hold yourself accountable? Hey, can you bring yourself deeper? Hey, can you can you get mm-hmm. through that barrier? And I think for a long time, if I was looking at why this took so long, I would use that misstep or those things as proof that I was not ever going to be a good um mm-hmm. director of the ship, right? Or or I was never, I would take tiny little instances of like, see, this is how you're never going to amount to anything, or this is how you're not going to be good enough, or this is how you're never going to be trustworthy enough, or, and these small things would be like the proof of the previous belief that like, you aren't Mm -hmm. good enough, and you aren't able to be sovereign over yourself. You always have to have someone that will be your guiding light. And what's interesting is that I could say with confidence, even though to this day I make missteps, like I've slowly understood that like by looking outside and asking other people to be constantly guiding me, I wasn't being able to be honoring my own journey. I wasn't able to be authentic. I wasn't even able to gain the skills mm-hmm. I needed. That that last point, I needed to develop the skills when I misstepped. That doesn't rely on someone else. Like I didn't need to seek somebody else's advice. I can take into account like, you know, some of their wisdom, but like it at the end of the day, I had to develop the skills within myself, right? And so making the bad decision or, you know, taking a risk and it not working out, 
right? For some people, it's that it goes back to that episode on abundance versus deficit. Like for some people, that is the proof. Like Jamie took a risk on a business thing and it fell through and she's, that's the proof. She's literally not good enough. She doesn't make good decisions. She's faulty. She is unskilled. She's blah, blah, blah. Right. And so I can, I can look external and I can ask people, okay, well, you know, this went wrong. Like, Hey, can I have some advice? But if I don't look inward and say, okay, what led you to that decision? What mind space were you in? What are some things that you can take from that decision that didn't work out that can actually inform your own conviction and your own strength moving forward? So I would say like that lesson took so long because I would for so many years do the the first example. So for so many years, I would take any type of thing. And many of you guys know, because we just got through the religious thing, it would be wrapped up in my world in like religion. So I'd be like, see, this is proof. Like, I can't, I am so wounded. I am so broken. Like everything about me is wrong. And then I would tie it into the religion. But then slowly the religion changed into my own journey. And I was trying to understand this about myself. And it turned into, oh no, like even if we take religion out, you literally could not be left to your own devices because you are at the mm-hmm. core of your human being, like literally going to screw everything up. So you have to ask for other people's advice and you have to get everyone yeah. else's like opinion and you have to let that dictate you. And so it, I'm not saying that like <laughs> for people who are hearing this, like, oh God, does that mean it's going to take forever for me? No, but I think it, if you do want to hear where I think it looped so many times is that moment of, I wouldn't take the moments of missteps or the moments that I felt like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't wise enough or whatever. I wouldn't take that as a skill Mm -hmm. to internally develop. I would constantly look outside Mm -hmm. and then that would further Mm -hmm. delay my own conviction of truth inside of myself. So every time I just kept looking out, 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 it would further delay my internal conviction. And so I do tell this to my clients and some of you guys know this, like if you're my clients listening, I tell this to my clients when they come into sessions and they go, oh, Jamie, like this is definitely all, like it's all connected to our therapy or it's all connected to our coaching. And I have to have like a pretty decent long conversation with them. And I say like, this is you. I can facilitate and open up dialogues. I can facilitate like we do on this podcast. But your internal work is your own, your own power. Never give Mm -hmm. that power away. Mm -hmm. Do not give that power to me. Do not give that power to CA. Do not give that power to some social media person. Do not give that power away to even like, and people are going to push me back, but even like, don't fully Mm -hmm. give your power away to like elders or like other lead. Like you have to look at that as like, if I'm doing this work. Can I claim that work as my own? I love that. That that's so powerful. It's a lot. So I was thinking about what my answer was going to be, and it, it also I think with a lot of these, um, like my mind went to like interpersonal things, but I think what the the crux of a personal journey is always going to come back to your relationship with yourself. So that's kind of where you went with your answer. And that's where I'm going to go with mine as well. We were recently talking about this um, kind of, kind of in depth. Um, For me, 
the biggest lesson I've had to unlearn is that taking care of myself is not selfish. So, or how would we word that? Whatever. Y'all know what I mean. (laughs) So the lesson is that taking care of yourself or prioritizing your needs is a selfish thing to do. So that's what I had to unlearn. So now I'm in a space Mm. where I no longer believe that it is selfish to care about myself. And this is, you know, I think this develops in a lot of people, but there's certain circumstances surrounding my life that absolutely exacerbated that lie. Um, And, you know, just family upbringing stuff and then like religious stuff where being selfless and sacrificing yourself was like the highest order of holiness, right? To just lay yourself just like Jesus did on the cross and like whatever, like that was very much like um, glorified in in the section of religiosity that I found myself in. It was all about laying yourself down, putting yourself last and humbling yourself before anyone else and everyone else and just all of that. And so I lived in that space for an incredibly long time and kind of watched myself just disappear for a little while, you know, through that process of consistently putting anyone and everyone else before me. And like over the past couple of years, I've been working really hard to reconnect with myself and listen in and be gentle with myself and take care of my mental health and my physical health and my emotional health and all of these things. And it takes years to unlearn mental habits that took years to build, you know? So, but it all sort of, um, recently the apex of the story is that just this past weekend, well, who knows when you guys are listening to this, but recently, um, I took a trip literally a hundred percent by myself. Um, And honestly, like my spouse and Jamie both had to like work pretty hard to support me through that decision. Because when I tell you like every part of my body was rebelling against that level of self-care, like my body was like screaming, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. And I remember like both of you guys being like, even when your brain and your body tells you, you can't do this, like you can you can purchase on that Airbnb. You can get in that car and drive those three hours. You can do this and you will thank yourself for it eventually. (laughs) Um, And so I almost had to like override certain like trauma neural pathways that were in there. And in doing that, like Mm. in doing like a really hard override of really deeply entrenched neural pathways that were telling me that this was not an okay thing to do, it actually did like a huge amount of work on my brain really rapidly um, and a really huge amount of work in listening to like that authentic voice because there was two voices inside of me. There was the authentic voice inside of me that said, this is okay. This is what you need. You need a rest. You need a reprieve. Like this is good for you. That voice was in there, but the other voice was also in there and it was screaming and it was really loud. And so by listening to people close to me that love me and care about me and listening and trying really hard to trust that other, that inner voice, it like really, it really helped me to develop 
a really tight bond with that voice because we like collectively as a team decided not to listen to the crazy screaming voice that said this was wrong. And by the end of that weekend, I was so deeply connected with myself and with my personal energy and having been able to just really slow down. And I went into that weekend. I remember this is what we talked about. I went into that weekend with a really firm intention uh, and like a personal boundary that I placed that I was not going to do any self work during that weekend. Um, Because (laughs) self growth work has been a huge theme of my life over the past many years. And it is super essential. And overall, overall, like ultimately it does improve the quality of my life to be able to like unlearn helpful narratives and, you know, gain better skills, both personally and interpersonally and all of that. Like it is good, but it's still work. And I think if, if you had a friend that was physically laboring, like nonstop, right? Outside of even like their regular job, say they had a job, but then like outside of their regular job, they spent every waking minute they possibly could 24, seven, 365 doing some other form of also like physical labor, like working their body to the point of burnout. And you were watching this happen. You would be like, whoa, buddy, like you don't, you, you need to take some breaks. Like you, it seems like your life is a little bit work-life balance is way off. Like you're just working, 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 working. We would be able to see that physically if it was like physical labor, but like mental labor is just as taxing and it's just as exhausting. And if you're somebody that's come through any type of trauma, your brain is already maxed and, and, and totally, uh, drained. Right. And then you start working on undoing that trauma. It's a, it's an immense amount of work, an immense amount of work and it's good work, but you need a break from that sometimes too. And so that's what I went into that weekend being like, you know, this weekend is about nourishing myself, not working on myself. And there's a real big difference there between those two things. And so it was really, it was slowing down and it was like eating foods that I really love. And it was, treating myself to binging a show on Netflix. And it was, you know, just going out in nature, which is extremely like fulfilling for me. And it really grounds me and makes me feel like myself and listening to music that I really love, like all these things that were just very much about like nourishing my soul and my mind and myself to say it was just like this giant like weekend of I love you. And I'm here with you. And it's just reconnecting with myself. And I come away from that weekend being like, wow, nothing about that is selfish. Mm-hmm. I recently heard somebody say, selfish means that you're caring about, you're, you're tending to yourself at the expense of others. So like, you're, you're just doing whatever it takes to get like your happiness or pleasure or money or whatever, even if it hurts other people. But they were advocating for a new word. They were like, we, what we really need to be looking at this type of really like self-nourishment as self-full. Like you're, you're just filling yourself up in order to be your best self, which is incredibly nourishing to the relationships around you. So it's not going to compromise or come at the expense of anybody else around you. In fact, it's going to improve 
your quality of life, which will improve your relationships with them, which will improve their quality of life in the end. Right. So I think it's interesting because like when we talk about, I know I didn't really invite you to reflect on like my response, but what's interesting about hearing your response is like on the other side of this, because, you know, we've been with each other on this journey. It's, it's just interesting to hear you not just say it, but like really believe it. Mm. I like, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to cry. Um, Cause like, I think we've been doing self work for a long time. Like just, I mean, we've always kind of been attuned to some of the like higher level thinking stuff, but then, you know, it's similar to like, when we encourage our listeners to be like in their stages of healing, you know, awareness or knowledge awareness. And then we have belief. It's like, we can be aware that like, I can be aware that I don't trust myself or I don't think I'm worthy. Or you can be aware that like you are not really selfish for, you know, taking a breath or listening to a song in a car. You can be aware of that. I truly think like the the shift that occurs and I think we even talked about that in that episode like the stages of healing is a massive shift occurs around belief mm-hmm. and then application right or right. belief conviction and application and and belief and like truly believing that although and I'll, I'll use the parallel for me like although I could be on this journey and make a decision that doesn't necessarily like perfectly align with what I wanted, but believing that at the core of who I am, like I can, I I can gain what I need and move forward from that and believe that that experience is not like the end all be all like tall, tall tale of who Mm -hmm. I am. Right. It's like, I believe that I am a stable core that I can bring myself to a deeper awareness and I can grow from those moments. That belief is pivotal in unlearning. Right. And so like, and I'm just sharing this with UCA because like knowing that we probably have spent years in knowledge and awareness. Totally. Like I could, and, and totally. I don't even, I don't even want to say I that. I agree. Like, but I agree. Right. So, so wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah. The knowledge and awareness was there for me for a very long time that I was neglecting some of my needs and like, it's important to take care of myself. But I was like, uh, as far as I, and, and even parts of me might've believed it, but like application wise was very weak. It was like, occasionally I would do something nourishing for myself, but I think um, those major shifts do eventually come along and all of a sudden like mm-hmm. it becomes a new default. And I think that's that's when you know you've had a major shift when like your default is now to think about yourself in a way that you go, no, I, I, I can trust myself and I do have strong inner wisdom and I might still make mistakes, but that doesn't actually compromise my value mm. of my voice, you know, and, and vice, right. you know, similar thread of thinking for me as well. It's like, I, you know, there, there becomes a shift where the default is now, oh no, these are my new values and these are my new beliefs. And they've officially, the unlearning process has actually come to fruition. You have now mm. relearned a new way of approaching that particular part of your life. 
Mm, right. And I feel like identifying that moment of, and I don't remember when we said this, but it's like, what is left after unlearning is like an immense responsibility of developing those fundamental building blocks of you, your beliefs, mm-hmm. like your convictions, the, the thing that makes you who you are, right? So when we get to the point of like, okay, I don't actually adhere to that previous belief and I don't really see myself through that lens anymore, right? It's like, okay, so when we're telling you what takes long, sometimes it does. Sometimes you can get stuck of like, well, okay, so I don't necessarily, like that doesn't dictate everything. But if I stay here, I stay stagnant. Or if I stay here and I don't move into a state of like conviction and application, like I don't get to really experience me Mm -hmm. in my full spectrum of who I am. I don't really get to experience that application phase. I just kind of can stay like, okay, I know, I understand, I'm unlearning. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that is probably where we're going to leave yeah. you because this is, this is, um, that was a great little ending. This is some deep Love stuff. That. And what you do have to look forward to is we'll probably have a kind of like wrap up episode right at the end of the year. That will be kind of like a collection best of kind mm-hmm. of thing. But, um, this is probably the last time you're going to hear us like have our reflection type <laughs> of podcast for the year 2022. So, it's been a beautiful journey. I'm excited to share some of our stats with you yeah, next episode. Thank you so much for listening. This has been right. a great final episode for 2022. Well, pen, the penultimate episode, I should say. Yes, and we are just <laughs> getting started, so we will see you next time. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollect itself and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work